0: You can be seated. I'm going to let the uh, children be dismissed for junior church. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's hot in here today, isn't it? Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah, I can feel that. Hey, Gary, can you check that thermostat to make sure it's it feels elevated in here a little bit? Is it okay? All right. Are some of you freezing, really? All right. Leave it alone. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. We're going to look at a few passages so you can can start out in chapter 1. And I want to read for you Verses 5 through 8, I'm sorry, verse, verse 4 through 8, Ephesians chapter 1, now we're going to be hanging out in Ephesians a little bit this morning, so just uh, be prepared to move around in that portion of Scripture. The Word of God says that He chose us in Him before the, fat, the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. To the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Turn ahead then to chapter 2 and verse 19. Chapter 2 and verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with the people of God and members of God's own household. Cross the page to chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, one of the themes that you will notice emerging as you go through the book of Ephesians is that it is a book about the body of Christ. The body of Christ in the book of Ephesians is referred to as the church. Now, I want to ask you a question as I just begin our discussion this morning. What vehicle has God chosen today to impact our world? What is his instrument of choice to impact the world in which he has called us to live? Know the answer to that question? Okay, it is the theme of the book of Ephesians. The church, the body of Christ is the means that God has put his blessing upon and it is the means that he has filled with his personal presence through the Spirit to impact the world that you and I have been called to live in. We are to take the gospel of Christ to the next generation. We are just to display the glory of God and the glory of Christ on the earth in which God has called us to live. Now, if that is the case, if God has chosen the church to be the means by which He will display His glory, the gospel, and His grace to the world around us, then what do you think would be Satan's main objective? Not to tear apart what God has designed to reveal His glory to the nations. That would be very clear. Hence, I believe Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, and verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will what? Not prevail against it. Why would Jesus give that promise? Because we as believers, I believe, are in a pitted battle with the evil one who wants to seek to derail or devalue the church, the body of Christ, so that the witness that God intends to the church is somehow diminished and affected. What that verse indicates is that we live with opposition against what God is seeking to do in our midst as a church family. Satan takes aim at the church because the church is the means by which God desires to glorify himself in the world in which we have been called to live. The Apostle Paul therefore says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are not ignorant of his schemes. Speaking of the evil ones' attempts to derail or to devalue or to divide the body of Christ. Paul says, Satan, we know what you're up to. We're aware of your schemes. This morning, the passion of my heart, the desire of my heart, is to communicate to you how God feels about the church. And then to encourage you to ask yourself this question, do I value the church like God does? Is His passion and devotion to the body of Christ my devotion and passion for the body of Christ? So in order to set this up, we need to look at how God Himself feels about the church, the body of Christ. And I believe we can safely say, based on the passages that we've looked at, that this chosen group of people... That God calls the church and his household is the basic topic of the book of Ephesians. He is writing a letter to his church so that it will be strong and capable. In it, God, through the Apostle Paul, reveals how he feels about the church. I want you to listen to these three basic assertions. Number one, the church is God's personal possession. Okay, the church is God's personal possession. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. God's work prior to your existence, He predestined us, every believer, to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His will and pleasure. One translation of Scripture says it this way. He predestined us and adopted us, that is, brought us into the family of God, and this gives Him great pleasure. You know, it's one thing to come to realize that you're a sinner, to realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sin and to trust him. And to know that, you know what, by God's grace, my life has been changed. It is a different thing to realize that in doing that, in sending his son to die to pay the price for your sin so that you could experience life change and eternal life. It's a different thing to realize that, that the word of God says that process of sending his son to pay the price for your sins so that you could be brought out of sin and into his family. It is a different thing to realize that this gives him great pleasure. Every parent in this room knows what it is to enjoy their children. We all know what it is to not enjoy them at times. But we all know the deep passion and love that we feel for our kids. One thing we fail to understand, I think, as Christians is that that's how God feels towards his church. That's how God feels about you. On your worst day, the Bible says he chose you and choosing you, knowing, he doesn't stand back and say, I'm so surprised that Tim Hoff would mess up in that area. It's not what he does. Knowing that I would fail him. Knowing that I would disappoint and be unfaithful to him. He still chose me. On your worst day, if you are born again by the grace of God, the Bible says as part of his church, you give him great Pleasure, delight, joy, satisfaction. So one of the things we can say this morning is this. God makes us his personal possession, and that brings him great pleasure. Secondly, we can argue this. He protects and promotes our progress in purity. He protects the process of our growth from infancy in Christ through to the end of becoming everything that he wants us to be. Look at chapter 5. Of Ephesians, and verse twenty-five. Ephesians five and verse twenty-five. Which, if you go to the end of the paragraph, you're going to find is a passage that is speaking about the church. Okay, he's using the husband-wife relationship, but what he's really talking about is the body of Christ. Look at verse twenty-five, just or or verse uh, thirty-two, just so that this is clear. He says this is a profound mystery, this love relationship between God and His church but I am talking about Christ and the church. So he gives a detailed description of what husband-wife relationships should be like. And when he's done, he says, in talking about that, I am talking about God's love for His church and His desire to protect her and to promote her personal purity. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. What is He doing? He is desiring, verse 26, to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, His desire to present her to Himself, a radiant church. Folks, do you understand what this is saying? God not only saves you from your sin and takes pleasure in doing that, He also makes your growth, your progress, your protection, a high priority in His experience. That's how much He loves you. He is designing us for a glorious purpose. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, if you just flip back one page, it says, Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Notice, God loves you so much that He is protecting and providing for your progress in becoming like Christ. How much does He care? This verse says, we are His workmanship, His project. We are the focus of His attention, of His love, of His passion. Folks, do you understand this? God not only takes pleasure in making you His child, God is for you. God wants to see you experience progress in your Christian life. He wants to see you take steps forward. He is deeply and passionately in love with you. And He promotes that progress through his personal presence want you go back to chapter 2 and verse 21 chapter 2 and verse 21 it says in him the whole building this is speaking about the church as a temple in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the lord and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. What is that saying? God is promoting your personal purity. He is taking pleasure in you. And He has made the church the place where His personal presence is expressed. We are becoming a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. He is here to protect and to promote our spiritual growth, and He gives us His Holy Spirit to make that possible. Another, One other thought in terms of God's love for the church. God loves the church as a man loves his bride. He carries for you personal, deep affection. This passage tells us, chapter 5, it says that He is, verse 25, making her holy cleansing her, verse 27, he is presenting him, her, the church, to himself as a radiant bride without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now folks, I know most men don't admit to enjoying weddings. But the truth is that a wedding is a glorious event. And the if you will, the thing that it builds up to ultimately is not the entrance of the groom. What it builds toward, what it centers on, is the entrance of who? The bride, radiant, without wrinkle, without spot. Now, I I love being at weddings and watching the reaction of everybody up front. everybody else is turning around it's a joy to watch the people that are up front beholding this radiant coming of the bride and particularly the groom anticipating the glory of this union and in that moment because in humanity what happens we experience that glorious moment but we end up going through a difficult experience long-term don't we because of our fallen nature As husbands, we fail to love our bride and to seek to see her grow and to become everything that God wants her to be. God never falls down on the job. He looks at you today like an awaiting groom at the front of an auditorium. Seeing his bride coming towards him one day to receive her. In all her glory, he is is thrilled with you. He takes delight in you. God loves His church. Now folks, you may have come here today having a bad day. You may be coming off a bad week. You need to realize that God's commitment to your progress and purity, God's commitment to love you passionately has not been diminished by your failures. Why does everyone like a love story? Why? Why do most people like a movie like Pride and Prejudice? you got men put up with it a little bit. But truth is, in the end, it's the movie you sat down with your wife to watch because you knew you should. But in the end, it's hard to deny the impact of a love story. It's hard to... Resist the draw to enter in and in those movie settings where it's painted in a way that is, we know, unrealistic. To watch the ideal. And what do you do? I can, t- I can tell you what you do. In your heart, you are longing for that. And you think, I think, I can find it in my wife. And I, I get pretty close. I have been blessed. But every mate will disappoint their mate, won't they? We live in a fallen world. But the truth is this. All of us are longing for that perfect love. I want to tell you something this morning. If you know Jesus Christ, Paul wants you to know that when he's talking about a man and a woman, he is talking about God's passion and love for the church. We watch the story, we see the dramatic statements of love, and all of us in our hearts are thinking, I wish that was my experience. It's as Tim Keller puts it, it's the love song that sounds familiar that you've never heard. Because in your heart of hearts, it's what you're longing for. And so it sounds familiar. But it's not. Because it's not a song that's ever been sung. It's what your heart has been longing for all along. Folks, I want to tell you this. When you come into the body of Christ, when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, He receives you as His bride, radiant, and takes personal interest in your progress and purity. God, simply put, loves the church. And has made it His number one priority on planet Earth for taking the message of Christ to the world. Now, the question I want to ask you in light of that brief summary from this passage is this. If God loves the church, every person in this room who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, God loves them, everyone. If God loves the church, then I have to ask myself a question shouldn't I love what God loves? If God loves the church, then isn't it logical to assume, as Jesus himself said, he commissions his disciples, John twenty twenty one, what you saw me do, go and do it. Be imitators of God, right? That's the command that we have as the church. My question this morning is, how would that look? And I just want to give you a couple ways that we can become passionate about the church in the sense that God is passionate about the church. Number one is this. Value the church as God's family, as God's plan. Value the church like God does. You know how God values the church? He sees the church as His family. That, I believe, is emphasized in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Ephesians 2, and verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's... New International Version has household. The word that you literally could use here is you are members of His family. When you came to Christ, you got a new family. You have brothers and sisters who deserve, who need your love and affection and concern. God loves the church. He wants us to value the church as a family. Probably the best illustration or the best description of valuing the church as family is this concept of commitment. The way I value the church is by being committed to her. Now I understand this morning that we are all, as Christians, part of a larger work of God, the universal or invisible Body of Christ, I believe that's what Matthew sixteen eighteen is talking about. Jesus says, "I will build my church," but God calls every believer to live in a church, just like the church in Ephesus or uh, Calvary Chapel down in Philadelphia or the chapel at Warren Valley in Washington, New Jersey. He calls us to be part of and to value His family as it is reflected in local communities. God wants us to love the local church. Like we should love our families. What are the enemies of that love, of that value? Can I say that in our culture, busyness, options get in the way of valuing the church like God wants us to? God wants us to be committed to the local expression of His presence. Busyness becomes a great enemy. Disappointment with other people becomes a great enemy. Demonic attack from the evil one. Coming against the church and dividing it can cause us to draw away from the church. But what we need to realize is this. Jesus Christ's commitment to build His church has not ended. He says, I will build my church. And that passion should be our passion in spite of the struggles and difficulties that we experience. John Stott says this about the church: often she, she is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day she, the church, will be seen for what she is—nothing less than the bride of Christ, free from spots, wrinkles, or any disfigurement, holy and without blemish, beautiful and glorious. It is to this constructive end that the church has been working and is continuing to work. The bride does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom, in this case, who labors to to beautify her in order to present her to himself. Folks, do you understand that in spite of all the blemishes that are part of our experience in the body of Christ, the struggles, disappointments that we all have from time to time, that God is still committed to the value of the church? to the value of each other. And He wants us, as His church, to do the same. Can we be honest and say that sometimes we have a shallow, if not casual, commitment to the body of Christ? That we don't see the importance of the bigger picture that we are part of by God's design. God loves you individually, but God loves His church corporately and regularly speaks about the church as a body, as a household, as His family. Folks, the challenge I just want to put before you this morning is, would would we as a church be willing to commit to valuing the body of Christ like God does? Second thought is this, love the church like family. Verse 19 of chapter 2 says, We are members of God's family, of His household. In Matthew 22, verses 37 to 38, Jesus says this. The whole commandment can be summed up in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do I love the body of Christ like God has called me to love her? Do I value her and cherish her? First John 3, 10 says, this love is the acid test of biblical Christianity. John says, anyone who does not love has not seen God. If I lack love for the body of Christ, if it is absent from my experience, then I am not being what God wants me to be. In fact, the Word of God, I think in Matthew 25 and verse 40 is very clear. When people come before the Father at the throne, the test of Faithfulness is the love test, isn't it? Inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And what is it that was done? Acts of love, simple displays of care and compassion and concern for the body of Christ. My challenge to us this morning as a church is that we should not make our career, our assets, the the end or purpose of our life. We should make loving others end Galatians 6.10, especially the body of Christ, our passion and our love. Value the church as God's family. Love the church like God's family. We are His household. Number three, love is best expressed in giving our time to the Lord. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus came and gave us His time. Jesus came and ultimately gave us His life. Folks, to be committed to the body of Christ takes time. It takes time to seek out vital relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. One writer has said that the most desired gift is not flowers and not chocolate, but focused attention. This week when Collie Stickle's dad experienced his stroke, I had some time in the afternoon to get down and visit with the family. And going into those circumstances is always difficult, a little bit heart-wrenching. You feel for people driving down. You're praying, asking God to work and, and to intervene. One of the things that I found so encouraging on Tuesday, going into the hospital, was, and I don't know, uh, Jason, I don't know your dad's extended family, okay? But going into the hospital and starting to encounter family members, I got a sense of something immediately. And that is that this is a family which is deeply connected. That when dad was struggling, everybody found time to put aside busyness, their plans, to come and to be sure that love was expressed and known. Now, nobody has to tell me that the family of the Stickles loves their dad. I went down and saw it. I saw people canceling their schedules and coming, putting off work schedules, other uh, other expectations and requirements on the day, which all of us have set it all aside. Why? Because time is the... Hopes ...orientation looks naturally northward. Sure, I mean, if everything is being gobbled up around you, by the Muslims, you're going to be looking elsewhere. All this pressure from the South reorients the church. It's like, can you imagine having a And literally, you can be a hero to everyone else when you're not being a hero to those that mean the most. Until you're being a hero to your family, ministry doesn't start. I remember 1981 when I was praying about my ministry, and I'll never forget on my face. In fact, Ralph, I missed your appointment that day. I had an appointment with Ralph and and Edna, and I missed that appointment that day. I was on my face praying on a Saturday, and I was supposed to meet with them, and I totally forgot it. Best expression of love. Folks, one of the ways that we can value the church more is to find out what time we can give to her and to see how we can best use that to see what God is doing in our midst as a church family to grow and to make progress. The last thought I want to impress upon you is this. The church has a God-given calling. That calling is to take the message of the good news of Christ to a dying world, to a needy world. Love, therefore, is how the church impacts the world. Love is how the church impacts the world. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said this. By this, they will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Folks, I think our church can have a bigger impact. For that to happen, we as a church family are going to have to increase the value of the church as God's plan. We are going to have to love the church like we love our families. We are going to have to express that love through giving our time, carving out time to make the body of Christ a priority in our lives. Not a sidebar, but a centerpiece in what God is seeking to do in our world. And when we do that, we will begin to impact the world around us. By this they will know that you are mine. Rick Warren says this, how you treated other people, not your wealth and accomplishments, is the most enduring impact that you can leave on planet earth what you did for other people how you care for them in the words of Jesus by this they will know that you are mine not simply by the fact that you love them but because you make each other a priority I have watched this over and over and over and over in my experience as a pastor when someone in church struggles and the body of Christ it doesn't even have to be a significant number of people but a small number of people express an unusual kind of love for the person in need. You know what people say to me? They say, you know what, you have a neat church. Or they say, our church doesn't do that. What are they acknowledging? What are they seeing? They're seeing that we care about the body of Christ. And when we care about the body of Christ, we're caring about what God cares about. God is passionate about the church. The question I bring to you this morning is this. Are you? Are you? Look into your life. Look into how your life is structured. Is there time carved out to experience unity, love, to pour out compassion, to pray with brothers and sisters in need? Do I carve out time to be the church? Because it certainly will take an adjustment of our schedules in our world in order for us to be everything that God wants us to be. Do I love what God's, God loves? And if your answer to that question this morning is, you know what, Pastor Tim, I don't think I do, then I'd like you to ask yourself this question What needs to change for, for me to more actively love the church that God loves? Can I challenge you to sit down with your mate and say, what adjustments? How do we need to shift our priorities in our life so that we begin to value the church? I mean, one of the things that, 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 that jumps out to me is this. When, when, when I get married, my life changed. I was deeply blessed and my life changed. Where I lived changed because I had a new family. Where I spent my time and my resources changed. Why? I had a new family. It would be the, the height of oddity for me to have gotten married and said to my wife, you know, I love you and I'm glad we're married. But I'm going to my parents' house tonight. And they're going to feed me tonight. And mom's going to wash my clothes and make my bed and take care of me. That would be odd. Why? Because in coming together as family, in marriage, what are we doing? There's a word. Commitment. Commitment. And the challenge that I would give to us as a church family as we look into this new year ahead of us and start to chart out new plans and programs, the challenge that I would lay before us is this. Are you willing to be more deeply committed to the church? Because God is. And the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Is His passion for the church my passion for the church? The means... That he desires to use to change the world. And I will tell you this. The more you commit to the body of Christ. To what God is doing through your local church. The more joy you will have in your experience. Because it is what he made you for. And when you become what he wants you to be. You will find your purpose. And you will find joy. And that joy will bring no guilt. You know what it will do? It will bring glory to the one. Who has saved you from your sin. And cleansed you by his glorious grace. Folks, ultimately this, the church, it's all about the glory of God. The humbling thing for us as His people should be this, this, our gathering together, our serving each other, our loving each other, sacrificing for each other gives Him great pleasure. Great pleasure. Let's bow our heads together this morning.